This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 365. In today's episode, I want to talk about modding my new car, shooting with the new Fujifilm XS20 and the XF 8mm F3.5, and a couple of news stories as well. Now, first off, I want to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show anywhere the podcasts are found. And if you're not currently subscribed, why not? It doesn't cost you anything but a second of your time. And also, please remember to share the show out on social media and elsewhere and help get the word out about this show. I'd really appreciate that. So, if you're subscribed to my YouTube channel or you follow me on social media, then you probably already know that a couple of weeks ago, I traded in my 2017 Nissan Rogue for a newer 2021 Toyota Corolla LE. Now, although the Rogue was a good vehicle that I drove for five years, and I do miss the all-wheel drive that I had, I always have liked the Corollas, and I've owned several of them over the years. Now, my latest 2021 Corolla comes with some pretty cool tech including automatic high beams, adaptive cruise control, road sign assist, and an electronic parking brake with a hold function. Now, the automatic high beams, I'm not going to go into in great detail because they're pretty self-explanatory. You turn on this functionality, and then when you're driving at night, your high beams will brighten automatically, and when it detects another vehicle approaching in the distance, they'll kick back down to low beam on their own until the car passes you, and then they kick back up to high. And it also works when you're following other cars at night. If there's a car or a certain distance ahead of you, it'll keep you on low beam, and if they're far enough away, then it'll kick up to high beam and back again. But what I wanted to talk about are some of the other cool features that this car has, first of which is the adaptive cruise control. And this one is really, really cool. So basically, the car has radar built into the nose. And when the cruise is engaged, it will scan for other cars in front of me. Now, let's say I'm cruising down the road at 55 miles per hour with the cruise control set, and I come up behind a vehicle that is going slower than the speed limit. Well, my adaptive cruise control will actually slow my car down to maintain distance from the car in front of me. And then if I pull out to pass them, the cruise will automatically speed the car back up to 55. Now, additionally, with the radar system engaged, if someone stops quick, my car will respond by slowing or stopping to avoid hitting them automatically, which is pretty cool. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but I, I really like this feature. And that's all tied into the radar system. Now, the road sign assist is really nice as basically my car has a front-facing camera at the top of the windshield. And as I drive, it will spot certain road signs such as speed limit signs, stop signs, or yield signs. And it will put them in the gauge cluster 
so I always know what the speed limit is on the road I'm traveling on, or if there's a stop or a yield sign coming up, it'll let me know about that as well, which all of these can be extremely handy for situational awareness when you're driving. Now, if I'm over the speed limit, it'll light up the border of the speed limit sign in red to let me know that I'm speeding. Again, just a nice convenience thing. But what about the electronic parking brake with hold? Now, this is pretty wild as well, as my car has no handle or foot pedal to engage or disengage the parking brake. It's all done completely electronically, which is something I've never had before. Now, when you shift into park and release the foot brake, your foot brake control, it automatically applies the parking brake. And then it releases again when you shift back into reverse or drive. Now, I like this as on many vehicles over time, from lack of use, the emergency brake system will seize up. Additionally, another issue that's common with normal parking brakes is the cable that operates the handle or the pedal that engages the brake tends to be the first part of the brake that breaks down or stops working. Usually the cable will snap. Now, the other cool part about my electronic parking brake is its hold function. Now, behind my shifter, there's a pair of parking brake buttons. The one on the left is for the normal on and off of the electronic parking brake, which I'm kind of intrigued that it has an on-off button. I guess that's so you can manually turn it on when you want to, uh, but you're not shifted into park because you can't totally turn the parking brake off. It is always enabled to work when you shift into park. So that's pretty intriguing. But the second button, the one on the right-hand side, is the parking brake hold function. Now, when you press this button down, you get a new parking brake icon on your instrument cluster that lights up green, indicating that the function is now turned on. Now, when you stop at a stop sign or red light, or you're at a drive-through and stop, a second parking brake icon lights up in yellow, letting you know that it has engaged the hold function. And now you can safely take your foot off the brake pedal and the car will hold itself in place without creeping forward and hitting the car in front of you. The parking brake hold function has a three-minute timer, so after three minutes, it will auto-release, but it gives you a warning ahead of time before that happens, and the car beeps to get your attention to let you know that it's about to release. So that's pretty cool as well. Okay, so what about the mods that I have done and plan to do on my new car? Well, the first mod I did I went on Amazon and bought a new LED taillight kit for the car that is completely plug and play. And I did a YouTube video on this and I'll share the link in the show notes. Now, what this means is that you unplug and unbolt the current factory taillights and turn signals on the rear of the car and the new LED kit bolts in the same way and plugs into the existing wiring harnesses. Now, by default, the Corolla has a plain black plastic strip that runs under the trunk lid, and that gets replaced by an LED light bar that fits in the exact same slot. Additionally, the kit I bought has a really cool startup sequence that runs when you turn your headlights on 
where it chases around the back of the car and then the entire new light kit lights come up and stay on as your new taillights at night. Now, this kit also gives you animated turn signal indicators on the back of the car that are easier for drivers following you to see, especially at night, but also during the day. And uh, like I said, I'll put a link to all the mods I've, I've done and I'm doing to the car in the show notes. So you can check them out for yourself in case you have a 2020 or newer Corolla and you want to install them in yours. Now, the, the startup animation for the new taillight kit is pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of the scanner bar on the front of kit from the old Knight Rider TV series from the 80s. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Now, the next mod that I added to the car this past Sunday, um, but since I bought it, uh, since I bought the car, I wanted to add remote start to it. So this past Sunday, I got a StartX remote start kit which is also completely plug and play with no need to cut or splice any factory wiring to make it work. Now this kit comes with the with three wiring harnesses to make installation easy for anyone to do themselves. The main T harness plugs into a series of factory plugs on the driver's side under the dash and has paired plugs. So when you pull the factory plug out of the plug brick, you plug the T harnesses plug back in in its place, and then the factory plug that you pulled out goes into a coupler that's paired with the T harness. So in other words, you pull the male factory plug out, you plug it into the female coupler, and then you plug the male plug from the T harness back into that wiring brick or block or whatever you want to call it. So that makes it fairly easy. Now, it has a second smaller harness that plugs into the immobilizer on the passenger side of the car, and that's located behind the passenger side kick panel. And then there's another one that plugs into the TPMS uh, port on the driver's side behind the kick panel. And those two separate harnesses then plug into the T harness via their own little dedicated clip connectors, and they're labeled so you don't get them mixed up. Now, the T-Harness does also, it has uh, another plug, so you have to take the bottom cover off your steering column, and then on the left-hand side of the steering column, there's a plug that faces downwards towards the floor that you have to unplug, and you plug the T-Harness into that, and then plug the factory plug into the coupler with the T-Harness, and that um, ties the T-Harness into your ignition system so that it makes that part work. Now, once you have all the circuits completed you and you have the, the StartX fully installed, now I don't recommend putting it where you're going to store it permanently under the dash or wherever you're going to put it. Don't do that just yet. Because once you have the StartX harnesses fully integrated to your car, and then you have to go through a physical programming sequence using the program button on the StartX control box and using your key in the ignition, you have to perform sequences and plug in the wiring harnesses to the StartX box in a particular sequence to get everything physically programmed to your car. Now, once you have that part done, you then have to remove the StartX control module from your car. You have to unplug it and take it into the house and then plug it into a Windows computer, download a free application called FlashLink, 
and then use the FlashLink module, which is in the box with your start kit, and that plugs into your computer via USB using uh, a similar cable to a printer. And then you plug the StartX control box into the FlashLink box, and you sign up for a free account. You download the FlashLink software, and you run the software, and then what you have to do is when the software comes up, it'll come up in wizard mode by default. You don't want that. You want to click the little gear icon in the upper right hand window or a portion of the window and select pro mode. And then once you're in pro mode, you want to click the tab on the left that says decrypt. And then what that process does is you send the data to the box and it'll actually pair the StartX control module to your factory key fobs, which is awesome because then you can use your original factory key fobs with the StartX remote start kit just by pressing your lock button three times. Now, the StartX system does not come with any key fobs of its own unless you order the long range RF extender kit to it for additional money. Now that allows you to start your car from greater distances and it uses its own key fobs. Now they also have a cellular module, which you can add onto the remote start. So you can start your car from anywhere in the world, similar to the way OnStar's remote start works on GM vehicles. Now the StartX remote start kit for my car was $200, which isn't bad at all. I mean, when I had the one installed in my Nissan, when I still lived in Georgia, it cost me like four or $500 to buy the kit and have it hardwired into the car. So this was quite a bit cheaper, but the cellular add-on is another $150. And then you also have to pay $40 a year for the subscription to be able to remote start your car via cellular. You get the first year for free when you buy the device, but I didn't see the need for this expense. Although I had that functionality on my 2017 Chevy Malibu that I had a few years back. And I do miss it sometimes. I just don't miss it enough or use it enough to want to pay the extra expense. So I didn't go that route. All right, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. And I do apologize. I have to update my canned recordings that I use for the show because I no longer have the podcast phone line. Nobody was ever using it. So I decided to change the number. It was a Georgia number. I changed it to a North Carolina number just a couple days ago um, for another um, personal business that I'm going to be running. So you can no longer call or text that line. So I just wanted to let you know, and I'll mention it in the show notes. And like I said, at some point later this week, I'll update those canned recordings that I use as part of the show. Now, the next series of mods that I'm going to be doing to my car will be while we're up north in the New York, PA area in a few weeks. Now, my car did not come 
with the factory LED fog lights in the front. Instead, it has black plastic accents where the fog lights would normally go. But they are removable, so I already have the fog lights that I found on Amazon for $55. And there's also a pair of red reflectors on the bottom corners of the tail end of the car that I can pop out and replace with LED tail slash turn signal slash brake light. So I'm doing that as well while we're up north. Now, I'm going to get to uh, enlist the aid of my son, Alex, to help me get those installed since you either need a car lift or a nice concrete floor with a floor jack and jack stands, which I don't have down here at home. I have the floor jack and jack stands, but our driveway's gravel and that's brutal on my bad back. Now, these lights do have to be spliced into the existing wiring for the lights, but I have uh, 3M wire splices to do that with, so shouldn't be that big a deal. All right, so enough on the car stuff. Next, let's talk about the new loaner I got from Fujifilm USA, thanks to my contact, Daniel Carpenter. So if you remember, back in May of this year, Fujifilm held their most recent X-Summit. And during this event, they released the new Fujifilm XS20 consumer-level camera body, as well as their new XF 8mm f3.5 lens. Now, the XS20 is the latest upgrade in the XS line of Fujifilm cameras, and it's really remarkable. It has the older X-Trans 4 sensor, but they added added the new 5th generation processor from the X-H2, 2S, and the X-T5, so that it gives it better AF performance. Now, in addition, they made the hand grip a little bit bigger so that it could accommodate the larger NPW-235 battery from the X-T4 and other cameras, which is nice because this allows the X-S20 to shoot longer on a single battery and also improve the ergonomics by making the hand grip a little bit bigger. Now, the X-S20 also added a new vlog mode on the PSAM dial that activates enhanced AF and product showcase capabilities, which allows it to better switch from you to an object you hold up in front of yourself during filming, and then the focus will lock back on your face when you lower the object back down again. Now, this feature makes the XS20 more on par with Canon's cameras with their dual pixel AF, which performs a similar function. The XS20 is nice and compact, it's lightweight, and it has a lot of new features that will allow even beginning photographers to make great images and video. Now, as far as the XF 8mm f3.5 lens is concerned, I was initially puzzled as to why Fujifilm released this lens since it wasn't anything that the world was clamoring for. But since getting my hands on one, I can appreciate the lens overall. At 8 millimeters, this lens is equal to a 12 millimeter in full frame equivalent field of view. Now, with this field of view, the XF 8 millimeter is a great lens for landscapes as well as astrophotography, and the f3.5 aperture will allow you to capture a good amount of light as well. Now, granted, it's not an f2.8, but by not being that wide, it allows the lens to be so small, compact, and lightweight. So over the next three weeks, I will be spending some time shooting with this new combination and making YouTube content on the item, on this gear as well. So make sure you subscribe to my channel 
and turn on all notifications so that you'll know when this new content drops. Now let's head on over to a couple of news stories for this week. SanDisk portable SSDs are garbage. According to a news story on Petapixel, it appears that Western Digital, who now owns SanDisk, is having some massive issues with these portable SSDs failing at random, and people are losing all their content over this debacle. Now, just a few months ago, one of the folks over at The Verge had a 4 terabyte version of this portable SSD that suddenly failed, and he lost 3 terabytes of video content that was being stored on the device uh, for a project he was working on. The person reached out to Western Digital about it, and they replaced the unit under warranty, but they made no offer to recover his 3 terabytes of lost content. Western Digital has released a firmware update that was supposed to correct the issue, but that same user's new 4-terabyte model has already failed after only three months of use, and other folks are reporting that the 2-terabyte models have been failing as well. Now, my thoughts on this. I'm seriously disappointed by this news, but I'm not totally shocked. I've been saying for years now that Western Digital's drives are crap. Their hard drives have had tons of issues with failures. And what's worse is Western Digital, um, over the years, has bought out a bunch of other drive and memory card makers. And all of their products are now crap as well, since Western Digital took them over. So it's a really, really sad situation. Um, Because so many good products are now garbage since Western Digital took them over. And I'm not saying that to be mean. It's the truth. Now, a few years back, I bought a G-Raid enclosure with dual three terabyte drives, and both the drives and the enclosure all failed after about six months of use. It was a mirrored RAID. Now, I did not realize when I bought this device that G-Drive had been bought out by Western Digital, or I would never have bought this product to begin with. I reached out to Western Digital and they replaced the drives with larger four terabyte models under their warranty, but I'm already seeing issues with the new drives as well. Additionally, I didn't have all of my raw files that were stored on that mirrored RAID backed up elsewhere, so I lost everything, years of raw files. Now, I did have the JPEGs of those images on a separate drive, so I still have those, so I didn't totally lose everything, but it was still pretty bad. And I was not a happy camper. Now, in my case, just as the person from The Verge, Western Digital did not even offer to recover my years of lost raw files. And now it looks like they're shafting the public again with these SanDisk portable SSDs. And that's why they've been blowing them out at a reduced price on Amazon lately, because they just want to get rid of them. My two cents, switch to another hard drive maker ASAP and toss your Western Digital garbage, and also replace any SanDisk memory cards as well. Go with someone better like ProGrade Digital. That's my two cents. ProGrade makes fantastic memory cards. I've had no issues with any of my ProGrade Digital stuff. So let's get on to the next story before we wrap up for this week. How much is a photographer worth? A professional photographer named Roxy Facer, who lives in Hawaii, was recently contacted by Vogue 
Polska. I guess that's Vogue Poland is what it stands for. To shoot some video for them as part of an overall project they were doing in Hawaii. Now, they already had a photographer, so they just wanted her to do video. They only offered her $300 for an entire day of shooting video and editing it for them. And she accepted the job. She did the job and then went ahead and shot the gig, but then later took to her TikTok and blasted the magazine for cheating her by only paying $300 for all the work she did. My thoughts on this. This behavior by Roxy is completely unacceptable, and it's totally unprofessional. I cannot imagine what was going through her head over this entire incident. I mean, you knew going in that the job only paid $300 for an entire day of work, and you accepted those terms, shot the job, and then you bashed the company about it on social media after the fact? I believe in this case, she jumped at the gig as she figured she could list Vogue as a client on her website to look more professional. Even though she was being misleading by not mentioning that it was for the smaller Vogue Poland magazine and not Vogue US, which is Vogue's primary magazine and their biggest circulation in the world. Because that's what she did. She listed on her website that she has Vogue as a client, and that wasn't true. Vogue, just Vogue, is the U.S. magazine. Vogue Polska is the Polish smaller version of their publication. So she's being misleading about that. And I have to ask, what kind of crack was she smoking to shoot the job, get paid, and then bash the company on social media? but then brag about having them as a client on our website. I mean, just my two cents. In my honest opinion, this lady sounds like she has some serious bipolar stuff going on. Or she just figured she could get more well-known clients by posting on her site about shooting for Vogue, when that is really misleading again, because she actually shot for their smaller Polish magazine and not for Vogue US themselves. Now, people, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Price yourself accordingly as a professional photographer or videographer. You know your worth and what you need to cover expenses and make a decent living. Don't take low-paying jobs for bragging rights and then bash the client because they didn't pay you what you're worth, especially when you knew going in you were being underpaid to begin with. Use your common sense, people. Now, from a personal note, a little while back, I was shooting content for EA Games, and I priced myself accordingly. But after the first shoot uh, out of several that I did, I realized that due to the beating my body took, I needed to up my rate a little bit for the future shoots. And they were totally fine with that. I didn't lowball myself to start. I charged a reasonable amount, and they were very happy with my content that I captured for them. So when I let them know that I wanted to bump up my day rate a little bit, they were totally fine with that. And we had a very productive and positive partnership on this project. And I even gave them some bonus content as well. So after the first shoot, like I said, I upped my price a little bit and we were both happy with the arrangement. And it ended up being a really great partnership. And I was really excited when they reached out to me because I've always been a big fan of their software. 
they've always been a really good company and they come up with some really cool games and stuff like that. All right, that is going to wrap up this episode. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 365 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing anywhere that you might be getting your podcast. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, turn on all notifications so you'll be notified when new videos are released. I do two videos a week on Wednesdays and Sundays. So a new video came out yesterday that you're going to want to check out. That one is about the remote start kit that I installed that I mentioned in this show. And so you're definitely going to want to check that out. Now, I will have another contest starting up in either September or October. I haven't decided yet what the prize is going to be, but I was really surprised that we didn't get any official entries for the Viltrox AF 75mm f1.2 Pro lens. I had several uh, people that entered the contest, but none of them had legitimate email addresses tied to their YouTube accounts. Not that you have to have a channel, just, you know, you have to be signed in with your Google account or whatever. And I couldn't reach anybody to verify with them and have them paste the code into the, their existing comment um, to verify them and then send them the prize. So nobody won that lens. So we'll either offer that lens again in the next contest, or maybe we'll just do a, uh, a gift card for um, Amazon or B&H or Adorama or something like that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But anyways, make sure you subscribe to the show and to the YouTube channel so you don't miss out on that upcoming contest. All right, that is it, folks. I will see you all again next week.